How are you feeling about your relational world today? Are you COVID frustrated, sick of being distanced from others? Maybe you're one of those people who love not feeling the pressure of needing to meet people. Perhaps COVID isolation has been like a breath of fresh air to you. Now, regardless of whether you're going stir crazy, like being alone, or are somewhere in between, we all have a deep desire to be known, to be accepted, to walk in close relationship with people who know us, to be with people who accept us with all of our faults and continue to love us and be our friends. This is a very basic human desire. Now, for some people, they simply want one good friend, while others want every person they meet to be their friend. It seems to me that it's getting harder to make good, authentic friends. Now, some people blame their difficulty in making friends on the unfriendliness of city life. According uh, to Vancouver High School, a Riverside Secondary School, uh, and their newspaper, the Riverside Eddy, Vancouver is one of, the, of Canada's loneliest cities. Uh, according to them, the YouTube channel Discover Connection created a video in which they asked Vancouverites if they believed that Vancouver is a lonely city, and the common answer was yes. They said that Vancouver culture is a prime example of an individualistic culture. We pursue our own agenda in the cafes, on the buses, and in other public places with our eyes on our devices and miss the opportunities for connections. Now, is Vancouver that different from any other large city? I don't know. Probably not. But I do hear many people speak of the isolation they feel and have experienced, especially since COVID hit. In addition to living in a socially isolating city, we can add a few general trends that add to our feelings of isolation. Social media creates a sense of isolation. Now, while social media is intended to connect people, it does so in a very superficial way. All the ills of social media are well documented, and I'm not going to get into them here, other than to say that social media has hurt our relationships much more than it has helped them, especially in our age of political correctness, uh, a cancelling culture, pseudo-tolerance, and an increasing shame culture. While social media can be used for good, it seems to draw out the worst in humanity as we, we feel we can say whatever we want to without any sense of accountability or responsibility for our words. Now, we are also living in an age in Europe and in North America where we haven't embraced an age-old philosophy in a new way. Early church history regularly refuted teachings known as Gnosticism. Now, I know you're thinking, what is Gnosticism? Let me give you a simple definition. Gnosticism is a collection of ancient religious ideas which originated in the first century AD among early Christian and Jewish sects. These various groups emphasize personal spiritual knowledge or gnosis over orthodox teachings, traditions, or the authority of the church. Gnostics considered the primary element of salvation to be direct knowledge of the supreme deity in the form of mystical or esoteric insight. Many Gnostic texts deal not in concepts of sin and repentance and forgiveness, but with illusionment, illusion and enlightenment. Numerous New Testament books address the false teachings of Gnosticism because the biblical writers could see how harmful this teaching was and is to the faith of people and to the transforming work of the gospel. The Gnostic gospel begins with building a sense of dissatisfaction within all of us. 
It is the message behind most advertising today. It is what drives so much of our political unrest, our social media, and our personal discontent and disillusionment. If you're a Gen X or millennial or younger, you've been told that you can do anything you want to do. You've been told that your work, your marriage, your children, your hobbies should all be amazing, should all be exciting, and should fill you with joy all the time. And the way to experience this kind of life is to discover the secrets to success, to self-create, to pursue fulfillment through incredible experience and through pursuing pleasure. To have this kind of life, you have to move past religion, past the constraints of Christianity, and find spirituality, spirituality that will help you become the better you because it is all about you. Gnosticism always begins and ends with you. Take note of all the commercials, all the companies trying to sell you things, all the neo-Christian teaching begins and ends with you. And if your current relationships, your current marriage, your current job, your current church is not meeting your expectations, you should move on because you deserve more, because it's all about you. You deserve better. What has this teaching led to in the Western world? Anxiety, depression, severe disappointment, the fear of missing out because someone might be having a better experience than you are. So we keep moving, moving from relationship to relationship, from job to job, from church to church, looking, searching, trying to find the elusive happiness that we're told we deserve. Now, behind this search is a God-given desire to be known, to be fully accepted, to be fully alive. Now, the psalmist, David, the author of the psalm we're looking at today, shows us the means to be fully alive in Psalm 139. God raised David from humble origins as a shepherd from Bethlehem to rule as Israel's second king. According to Bible scholars, David was born around 1040 BC and lived to 970 BC. He was about 70 years old when he died. He was the youngest of Jesse's eight sons, and David led Israel to its pinnacle of power and glory, and as history tells us, David's descendant was Jesus. David showed success as a shepherd, a military leader, a king, a poet, a musician, and a spiritual example to us all. David also had his failures, including committing adultery and murder. David's failures as a father and king show him as an imperfect man whom God both disciplined and blessed. After all his failings, to hear God describe him as a man after God's own heart is amazing. It says a lot about David and even more about God. Psalm 139 gives us a picture of David's walk with God and provides a model for us to follow. Listen to the first six verses of Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. What is the first thing you notice? God knows us. What's the second thing you notice in these verses? It's not about us. It's about God. God is all-knowing. He knows every detail of our lives, every nuance of our thoughts and actions. There's nothing we can hide from him. David is overwhelmed and in awe of this reality, that the creator of the universe The author of life is fully aware of him and of each one of us. Now, think about this for a moment. 
You don't have to search out God and introduce yourself to him. You don't need to discover the secret to finding God because there is no secret. You do not need to create your own value and then add God to your life like you would a consultant. He was before you. He is over you. He will be after you. It is God's revelation to us of himself that opens our eyes to the true nature of things. Joy and meaning in life is found in worshiping and serving the God who knows us rather than trying to create an exciting life that will be the envy of others. We don't need to try to find or to create our own truth to feel as if we are valuable because truth comes from the one who knows us, the God who knows us. Not only does God know us, God is always with us. See, the God who knows us intimately is also the God who is always by us. David wrote in verses 7 to 11, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where, where shall I flee from your presence? If I send to the heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, in hell, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day for as darkness for darkness is as light with you. Now, when I was a little boy and when I was feeling guilty, I remember trying to hide from God by crawling under the covers and hiding in my bed or in the closet. Did you ever do that? Did you ever think that God could not see you because people couldn't see you? There are many people who are still living that way. They feel or think that if they do not think about God, then God will not think about them either or God won't notice. But he does. And there is no darkness, physical or mental struggle, no difficult place that we can hide from God's presence. He knows us. He sees us. No matter how dark we feel our life is, we may feel invisible to the people around us, but we are not invisible to God. We may feel insignificant and not worth others' time or attention, but we are not insignificant to God. We may try to create our own significance, to be noticed by others, or to make our mark in the world, thinking that then we will find what we're looking for. We may feel good for a moment, but every accomplishment fades. Every award gathers dust. Every story is ultimately left in the past. What we're looking for to be fully known, to be fully loved, to be fully accepted, cannot be found in anything or in anyone other than the one who already knows us intimately and is always with us. We're reminded of God's promise that he is with us throughout the Bible. Matthew chapter 28 Verse 20 says, And behold, Jesus said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 5, it says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he, God, has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God is always with us. He goes before us when we are on the move. He promises to be with us like he was with those before us who called on his name. When we are doing his work of making disciples, he is with us. We don't have to fear for the future and his provision. He will never abandon us. Finally, his spirit dwells within us. God is always with us in all situations of life. Pre-COVID, in COVID, post-COVID. In our modern skepticism, we might say, well, this is beautiful poetry. And it's great to hear about God's knowing me and being with me. But how do I know it's true? It's like David knew the question was coming and replies, I'll tell you how I know it's true. It's true because of how wonderfully you are made. 
See, God made each one of us wonderfully. And David talks about this in verses 13 to 16, where he said, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Take a look at your body. Consider how intricately you are made and how little you have control you have over the forces that are, that are at work in your body. You can't turn it on. You can't regulate one organ over another. All you can do is steward what God has given you, well or poorly. The complexity and intricacy of our body should be enough to show us that there is something outside of us that is regulating and running us. It should humble us to recognize that we live within the limits of what God has created. Now, have you ever stopped to think how much of your life is dependent upon forces at work inside of your body? If any one of them stopped, you would die quickly. You are dependent on something that you have no control over. Your heart is beating away right now. And it would be terrible if you had to control it with your mind or your will. Now, how would you like to have to keep saying to yourself, now as you are listening to me, okay, heart, now pump. Now pump. Now pump. Or if you had to say to your lungs, okay, now breathe in. Okay, now exhale. Okay, now breathe in. Now exhale. Someone else is running our lives, that is, and that is obvious from the design of our body. There is an outside force much greater than us. David looked at his body and said, I praise you, God, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I love watching my seventh, seven-month-old grandson, Petey, uh, discover his body as he plays with his fingers and with his toes, and he's slowly coming to realize what they can all do. It's like he's wild-eyed with wonder. God's power is evidenced by the creation of each individual. God created our innermost beings, those things that control us, our minds, our hearts, our wills. We are intricately woven in the womb. By using this term, the psalmist pictures himself as a fine piece of art and God as a skilled craftsman. Paul echoes these words in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, where he said, For we are God's masterpiece. David added that not only are we wonderfully made, our days are also ordained by God. In verse 16, the New Living Translation puts it this way. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Paul echoes this thought back in Ephesians chapter 2 when he said, God has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago before we were born. God measures our days, he determines our lifespan, and he is the one who is sovereign over all things. This can play out two different ways in our lives. Now, the most frequent approach to God's sovereignty uh, often today is to question God's love and grace. We say things like, God, if you are sovereign, then why don't you make all my pain and the pain in this world go away? Which is really saying, God, why don't you do what I want you to do? We question God's goodness, God's purposes, God's love. We question everything about God and feel justified in doing so. While God can handle our questions and is very gracious with us when we ask those questions, our sheer arrogance is quite remarkable, really. We think we know better than God, so we think he should line up with our thoughts and our purposes and our expectations. We're the toddler who demands that his parents do what he wants, what he wants when he wants. As parents, we graciously listen to our child's demands, but 
If we do what is best for them, we will often frustrate them in the moment. The other way to respond to the reality that God forms us, gave us purpose, and numbers our days, is to live with full confidence and joy that we can fully engage in God's purposes in this world with trust, with peace, and joy. That we can focus on growing the mind of Christ in us, aligning our thoughts with his. As David wrote in verse 17, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than sand. I awake and I am still with you. See, when we gain gain God's perspective on life, the world events happening around us, we we can live in full confidence that he is sovereign. We can live boldly, faithfully, and joyfully. That is why Christ followers throughout history have stepped up to care for the sick during pandemics. Not because they, would, they knew they would never get sick, but be, because they trusted God for the timing of their lives, whether their lifespan was long or short. We do not need to live in fear with COVID-19, but we do need to live responsibly. Our lives are in God's hands. The pastors who are boldly proclaiming that they will never get COVID because God is protecting them and their flock are, in my opinion, not reflecting God's provision for us. Those of us who think we can control our health and protect ourselves fully are also delusional. All of us are under God's sovereign hand. The more we know God, the greater the passion we feel for him and for his purposes and live in confidence in who he is. So knowing God evokes great passion within us. And that's where this psalm takes an interesting turn. We don't always know what to do with some of David's writings. And the next two verses are like that. I mean, listen to verse 19 and 20. David says, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. And then verse 21, Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Now, for the 21st century mind, these are jarring verses. Why does poetry turn to revenge? Why the passionate, Lord, kill the wicked? Now, this has bothered many people over the years because it seems so far from the words of Jesus. Love your enemies. Pray for those who hate you. So how do we make sense of this? When we love what God loves, we will also hate what what God hates. Now, does God hate people? Absolutely not. But he does hate sin. He does hate seeing people hurt other people. He does hate seeing anything that pulls people away from him or that mistreats his creation, both people and this world. Let's be honest. Don't we, want the same, don't we do the same thing? When we feel close to God, when we pour our hearts out to him, we ask him for things that are important to us. And we long for justice. We long for things to be right in this world. What's important to David? That evil people are misrepresenting God. So even using, even using God to justify their evil. David asked God to take care of the problem of evil. David's suggested solution, Lord, wipe them out. That will take care of them. Have you ever felt that way? Lord, just make this problem, make this person go away. Now, I love the honesty of the Psalms. You know exactly what the writers are thinking. What I do like is that David doesn't say, God, why don't you let me take care of these people? Let me wipe them out. David recognizes that justice belongs to God and that if anyone is going to do it, it must be God who does it. 
Today, we see many Christians wanting to take justice into their own hands. We see so much of this in our politics, in the words people are posting online, and the attitudes of many, of those, of, of many towards those they don't agree with. Jesus never ramped up on people who did not know him. His harshest words uh, that he ever spoke were against the religious uh, hypocrisy of the Pharisees who were using God's name for evil. His call to all of them, first and foremost, was always to repent, to turn from their evil ways, and to trust in him for the forgiveness of their sins and to follow him. Now, David realizes his own tendency towards sin. I think that is why he ends the psalm by asking God to search his heart. He says, God, search my heart. It's almost as if David realized what he was writing and took a step back to reflect on the wonder and beauty of God. How God fully knows him, created him, and is present with him. And the ugliness in his own heart. David wraps up this psalm with the profound words in verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any grievous, grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's like he came to the realization that his plan for dealing with evil may need more thought. It's like he's saying, Lord, I don't always think very clearly and my emotions and fr frustration sometimes get the best of me. Lord, I want what you want. I like how the New Living Translation uh, puts these verses. Says, Search my heart, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. We cannot con contemplate the glory and greatness of God without being painfully aware of our shortcomings. David asked the Lord to search him for any wicked way in him. Sin is so pervasive that we often cannot even see it. It clings to our thoughts, our words, and our actions. I believe that is why David asked God to know his thoughts. The word translated thoughts in some Bible verses carries the idea of anxious, anxious thoughts. We can see why David mentions this. He's been praising God who knows everything, is everywhere, created everyone and everything. At the same time, he is anxious and frustrated about the wicked who seem to be getting away with their evil actions. So he struggles to trust God and becomes anxious. Often we let anxious thoughts control us rather than trusting God. When God searches our hearts and thoughts, he will identify the lies we have believed. When God searches our hearts, when he points out anything that offends him, he provides us with the opportunity to deal with our sin. When we deal with our sin by asking for and receiving his forgiveness, we increasingly experience the life we're looking for, to be fully known by him and fully alive in him. And that only can happen in Christ. It will not happen by chasing the perfect relationship, the perfect experience, the perfect church, the perfect knowledge. It is found in Jesus Christ and lived out in community where you are known and you know others, where you walk with your faults and your wounds and are accepted and you accept the faults and wounds of others. That is the place to be fully known and fully alive. We can then turn from those lies and believe the truth about God and ourselves. Then God can answer David's request which is to be led in the path of everlasting life, which he invites each one of us to. Friends, that's why we keep talking about inviting, inviting you into life groups, and I would encourage you to join one. Uh, most are meeting online. Some are starting to meet in homes or on their driveways, in their garages, in the parks. We invite you to join one of those groups. Or start a D group, a discipleship group with a few other friends to, to press deeper in, and you can go to our website to see the details on that.
As we move into the fall, I would encourage you to engage in community if you are not currently engaged in community, to be fully known and trust God to walk with you in your relationship so you can actually experience not the lie that society invites you into, but the truth that you can be fully known and fully alive. If you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, to be fully alive and fully known, you can pray with me right now to do that and begin that relationship. And then I would encourage you to press on our, our connect button and get connected in relationship uh, and to walk along in your faith with Jesus. Why don't you pray with me? Father, I thank you that we can be fully known, that there is nothing in our lives that is hidden from you. You know everything about us, every fault, every, every good gift you've given us that we can share with others, every struggle, every pain, every question. And in the midst of that, you continue to invite us into relationship with yourself. And Father, I pray against the lies that we often believe the lies that we have to chase things to feel good about ourselves, the lies that, that we deserve everything to be good for us. We know that in this world there is challenge and difficulty. It is not something that should surprise us. And you desire to meet us in the midst of our hopes, in the midst of our dreams, in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our fears. So, Father, for anyone who's not given themselves to you, I pray right now they would do that. And it's as simple as initiating their relationship by simply saying, Jesus, I give my life to you. Come and forgive my sin. Come and forgive the fact that I've pushed you away. Come and give me new life as I give my life to you. Come and fill me with your Holy Spirit, which you promise. And you promise to be with me and be with me every day. And then be the leader of my life as I follow you in every area of my life, as I grow in my understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Father, I also want to pray for all those who are, who are listening and watching who are Christ followers. Perhaps they've become anxious. Perhaps they've become indignant or angry at the wickedness or the situation in this world. And Father, I pray for each one that they can take their fears, they can take their anger, they can take their frustrations and give them to you. And Father, I pray against the lies that would say, God, that you are not present or that you have forgotten us or that, or that you do not see us in our pain or our frustration or that you don't know what our concerns are. Each one of those are a lie because the truth is that you do see each one of us because you made us fearfully and wonderfully and you desire to walk with each one of us and that we would give those things to you, that we would spend time with you, reading your word, sharing our thoughts with you in prayer and walking with God's people to grow in our faith and then to invite others into what it means to be fully alive and fully known by you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.